as two of the four co-founders of Refinery29, Philip Von Boris and Piera Gilardi, have spent the past 13 years building the brand from a cool hunting blog for young women to a multimedia and events empire. A lot has changed since 2005, and in an era where new media brands come and go or pivot and die, it's a testament to Refinery29 with north of $125 million in funding in the bank that it has survived and thrived. Philip and Piera, along with co-founders Justin Stefano and Christine Barbaric, have built a behemoth catering to the interests and cravings of young women that reaches an audience of upwards of half a billion globally across platforms. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, and you are listening to AdLib. Philip and Piera join me today on the podcast as their seminal 29 Rooms event packs up in New York and prepares to head to California in December. The two of them, who have also spent the past 13 years as a married couple, discuss the journey, working and living together, and what comes next for Refinery29. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, NPR. From Morning Edition on the radio to NPR News Now on smart speakers, NPR is a part of people's daily lives. And so are the brands that sponsor its award-winning news and programming. Keep listening to hear how NPR sponsorship can help your brand do the same. But first, we're going to speak with Philip Von Boris and Piera Gilardi. talk about the circle of your life it's good piera and philip philip and piera who should i introduce for i'm gonna go with piera first thank you Uh, you should always go with piera first (laughs) you guys are a married couple which is not something that is that it's not a secret but it's not widely discussed so we can get into some of that you are two of the four founders of refinery 29 and you guys actually got your marriage license on the day the company was incorporated. Is that correct? Not quite, but almost. Clo- yeah, close enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we we started dating and very soon after started working on Refinery29. And yeah, the, f- the day that we incorporated the business was actually the day that we called my parents to tell them we were getting married. So... Um, yeah, it all it all it all blends it's always together. Been intertwined. So so they couldn't pick you. They couldn't pick on you for one bad decision. You had made two at once. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like what are you exactly. thinking? Um, yeah, a lot of big a lot of big life decisions being made in a yeah. single day. And so, how do they take all of that at once? They're very supportive. You yeah. know, they 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 ask a lot of questions. They challenge me, but in a supportive way. And how did you how did you guys actually meet? I mean, uh, you. We're not apparently dating that long before you you launched the companies. Or got married. Or got married. (laughs) Uh, It seems to have worked out. I mean, the jury, I guess, is out in the long, long run. But, you know. Yeah, we're 14 14 14 years in, so I think we're doing pretty good. On the year before that, I was, uh, I'm originally from Germany. I was Mm -hmm. working for a digital media startup in D.C. early days. This is 2004 era. Can you say which one? It was called The Globalist. Okay, um, I remember that. I and think, yeah. uh, and Piera was working at City Magazine in New York. With our co-founder, Christine. As who is the mm-hmm. photo editor with our co-founder, Christine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we met while I was in D.C., Piera was in New York. I had actually, I grew up in Germany. What I found in the U.S. was an outlet of creativity. I found myself in D.C. I was like, I left everything behind in New York. I need to get back there. I was coming back every weekend, and my friend who is still my closest friend today, had a photo strip on the fridge because Piera Sensei used to send a photo strip out that she sent for the new year. And I was like, who is, who is this woman? And uh, 
that's where it all began. Yeah, it was like a classified ad IRL. <laughs> <laughs> well, photo strips are still very. Do you still have yeah. that strip? Yes. Yeah, you yeah. got it. Philip has it on his bulletin board at the office. And in subsequent years, it then became the Philip and Piera photo strip. Uh, yeah. yeah. How's it? How talk about the dynamic, uh, uh, Piera? You're the creative uh, side, or the, you have the creative brain. You're very much dressed like a creative today in your <laughs> pink head-to-toe suit. Uh, Philip, you're more the finance business side of things. Is that? I don't think it's as clean cut as that. I think you know, on on paper, yes, that's that's how it works. But I think. Um, it, it definitely, it definitely blends in real life. I think we both have a true entrepreneurial spirit. I'm a, I'm a creative person, but I love building. I grew up in a family that did business brainstorms around the kitchen table, um, cause my dad's an entrepreneur. And so I think the way that it, it truly plays out is we have our clear territories within the business, but we also collaborate really heavily on where the business is going, where we see culture. Um, and how we're going to move the business forward. Yeah. So how, how do you see culture? And how are you like, going to move, move the business forward? I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of different things in culture. Like if we're looking at the macro, I think some interesting things that we're seeing are really this values-driven consumer. I think um, we're seeing consumers want to spend their money and spend their time with brands that match their values and that are really walking the walk. So that's something that for us is an interesting trend and, and one that really aligns with us as a brand because we have been so mission and values focused since our inception. Yeah. Um, I think we're also seeing an interesting trend towards sort of a tech burnout um, where consumers are, you know, we're feeling less and less connected even though we're technically more and more connected through our devices and I think there's a vacuum of meaning that's happening and as a result we're seeing our audience even more interested in experiences and also more interested in spirituality and, and ways to tap into themselves, each other, and the world around them. Um, so those are a couple... A couple, couple of things couple that we're seeing, yeah. Macro trends right now. Yeah. You guys have, have, the times, as you've said, have changed, and you guys have managed to, to adapt and evolve with the times. What's the goal today? I think when we started, sort of what the through line is, even though the business looks incredibly different, was when we were focusing on those small boutiques, what it was that drew us to them were that they were these independent voices um, in the fashion space, and at the time, the fashion space was very rules-based. It was really based on making you feel bad about yourself, and we wanted to focus on these independent voices and style that were truly celebrating individuality and that, um, you know, we're, we're just projecting a different message into the world. So I think what we tapped into with our audience was that, that individualistic lens and through that we started to really work hard to represent our audience in all different ways you know mm -hmm. from m micro things like shooting our staff for our imagery or going out and handing out casting cards on the streets of New York so that we could visually represent a diverse audience I think um, that connection is what is what kind of drew us forward um, was that connection to the audience, seeing that they were appreciating that new way of speaking to them, you know, in a way that was real, raw, relatable. Um, and we started to then apply that to all the different topics that we went into. So as we started to expand um, into beauty, it was really beauty through the lens of self-expression um, versus 
you know, having to correct something about yourself or telling you that you were imperfect. Um, so that was that was the the thread. And then as we got into other topics, we thought about how do we how do we upturn those topics as well? How do we talk about sex in a way that values women's pleasure that um, isn't in this wink wink nudge nudge way, but is truly you know connecting to people and helping them with a topic that is taboo that that they don't have the chance to really learn about in a safe space. Um, so I think that's been that's that's really drawn us forward as a brand and that connection to the audience and also the willingness to take risks and wade into taboo mm -hmm. topics um, really is what or, has or, defined or us. destigmatized topics that, yeah. that shouldn't have to be taboo. Yeah, they right. shouldn't have to be yeah. taboo, absolutely. Um, so uh, where, when you talk about Refinery29 today, I mean, it was easy in 2005 to explain it, even if it was new at the time. You're a blog, you're, 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 you have a commerce play. Uh, a pretty clear model now that you're this many tentacled beast. So what's the <laughs> what's the model? Sounds so grotesque. <laughs> the model is really a media and entertainment company focused mm -hmm. on women. Um, mm -hmm. You know, our core prongs are content, experiences, and product. Right. So, like Pierre just described, we produce a ton of content in different categories from you know, the foundation of beauty, style, to cultural and politics and travel, mm -hmm. to experiences. We have a large live events business where over 100,000 people will buy tickets to this. I have experienced this. your experience. Yeah. You just came and yeah. you you put on lipstick. I I'm very, a, very impressed. The Revlon branded booth with my yeah, daughters. There you go. And um, products, right? Yeah. And uh, and that's the commerce piece that actually runs through our DNA from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So that's the that's the headline for where the business is at today and what the what the business vision is. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into the event uh, component of it. You were sort of explaining uh, the 29 rooms a little bit, which is how many years have you been putting that on now? It's our fourth year. Fourth year. Uh, and it's gotten huge. I mean, when I went just a week or so ago, there was a line around the block in, in, in Brooklyn. Um, and yet uh, the model really is sort of seemed to have taken off elsewhere. We were, before we turned on the mics, we were talking about there's Rosé Mansion here in New York. There was the Museum of Ice Cream, Dream Machine. You said there's a pinata museum. There's pinata, a, pizza, eggs, avocados, the, the pizza you museum name is it. coming. So, you know, there are all these sort of, it, it, and you're one of the, the first to sort of create these made for Instagram moments uh, with the sort of brand component, artist component. But now it's, it seems to be there's one every day. Is the space getting overcrowded? Or does it concern you at all? I think I think we've seen since we launched 29 Rooms in five, four years ago that, yeah, there's been a lot of imitators um, popping up. But I think that what, what our event is rooted in is storytelling and audience connection. So the rooms that we pop up, the topics that we touch upon within 29 Rooms, are really related to what we're seeing resonate with our audience. So before I was mentioning, you know, this this sort of vacuum of meaning and people really wanting to connect deeper into themselves. So this year we took that insight and actually built out rooms that spoke to your inner child. We did a room with the Hood Witch, who is a modern mystic. Um, we did phone free rooms to help people kind of go through that. So I think what differentiates our event from you know the the other events that you were describing is this this connection to storytelling and connection connection to these deeper threads in culture and also the fact that we are really elevating a lot of creative voices through 29 Rooms. So it's not just our manufactured event. We're working with amazing artists like Rupi Carr and Petra Collins and 
and Demi Lovato and Janelle Monae um, and, and working with them to really bring these narratives to life in a way that's experiential. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think there's still a lot of room because I think our event actually does a lot more than it just being an Instagram play. I think that for a lot of people, that's, that's so half of the audience comes to take pictures and half comes to connect with culture and artists. So I think there's still a lot of room for us to expand and yeah. grow that. That was, yeah, that was my sort of my next question. Where do you take it from here? Do you feel this sort of obligation to outdo yourself every time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the create. I mean, that's like the creative's agony, I think, is you always, you always know how you can do better and you always strive to do better. And that's, I mean, that's very much how we operate is we, we're always learning from what we're doing. We're always testing, learning, and, and really pushing ourselves to, yeah, to go to the next level. So I think this year at 29 Rooms, we incorporated a lot more performance and hands-on activities and ways for the audience to connect with each other because that was some of the uh, verbatim feedback that we'd had from years past is that they want more chances to connect. They're interested in each other and they want more. They feel creative in this space and they want to get more hands-on. So Mm -hmm. for us, we're really thinking about how do we, you know, it's not, it's certainly not an easy model. It's a, it's a beast, as you said, or you were saying that about refinery, but 29 (laughs) rooms is also a multi tentacled Mm -hmm. beast, you know, actually creating, creatively thinking of 29 different spaces every time and building those out and collaborating with all the people that we collaborate with, um, is challenging. So I think we've been really thinking about who could we partner with to grow and scale this even more and what are offshoots to the to, you know, to the things that people love about this event that um, can continue to pri- right. provide what, that same meaning. What hasn't worked over the past four years with these events? When, when Would you go back and say, we won't do that one again? Mm-hmm. Like what events haven't worked? Either events or specific rooms or partnerships. I think, um, so we really challenge our partners um, because we've seen in the past sort of when people are only focused on make, making the logo bigger or having mm. the biggest room mm. um, or really forcing something down a consumer's throat that it doesn't work in our environment. When brands are focused on actually providing a great experience and, and thinking about what centers that experience and then how the, the messaging or the, you know, the action that they want to drive weaves in through that, mm-hmm. that works a lot more um, authentically. So we've definitely, you know, in the, it, especially our first year, it was really hard to get brands to see the value of this experience. We didn't have the one in two people on Instagram seeing the event stat that has now helped us to really... What's the stat? The stat is that um, last year we reached one in two people on Instagram. So one in two people on Instagram saw this event. So half of people on Instagram. Yeah, half of people on Instagram oh, saw this event. That's a lot of people. Yeah, I had them run it several times because I couldn't <laughs> believe it myself. Yeah. Um, so, but the first year we did it, we didn't have any, you know, we didn't have a lot of stats to back it up. We used a lot of more general audience statistics and cultural statistics to help brands see the value of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a, it was definitely a hard sell. And then we saw that. Sorry, now I'm going on a tangent. No, it's That's good. Just, but you're just strike. <laughs> I'm no, like, where am I going? No, with it's this? no, it's it's good because you know you're talking about it's it's an interesting stat. One in one in half of everyone on Instagram has seen 
this event. And yet, at the top of this conversation, you were talking about the need to put the phone down and connect yeah. on a human level. How do you reconcile those those two demands or those two driving? Yeah. It was actually uh, pretty interesting this year. There were several experiences that were built around just that. There was there was one room called Twenty Nine Questions, which was actually about meeting a stranger and sitting across from them and putting your phone away and having this very meaningful um, experience. So. Mm-hmm. That's been interesting. Um, maybe just one quick reflection on, on, on sort of how it relates to the larger environment too, is that you know we launched this literally out of an experiment. None of this was like engineered, we're getting into the event space now, we're making this happen, and came from a place of we're working with really incredible creators and artists, and we have a community of people, let's see if they will show up. Mm-hmm. And we put it up for the first year, and you know 5,000 people were in line. I think what you see in this moment in time, particular you know, in, in media is that there's there's always this race where somebody like nailed something and then everybody else latches on yep. and you see this tidal wave. And some of those experiments are really awesome. Some, you know, push you further, which is obviously what you want. Um, and that's the driver. But you over, you know, we've been in this business for 14 years. Um, I remember when, you know, media companies started doing flash sales, mm-hmm. you know, and that became a thing. So. This is a moment where, where I feel like we're actually sort of like very, um, we, we started something that truly was very like authentic to the identity of the business. And you know, it's a pretty impressive fact when you sell 100,000 tickets through your own marketing channels without any other marketing around it. Right, so but is, are we at an inflection point? Do you, uh, do you have to find what the next thing is that Always. people aren't doing? Always. Yeah. I think it's interesting though what you were saying. I mean, I do think, we, there's, there is this paradox between the fact that we are heavily connected through our devices, that you know there's unprecedented amounts of content consumption happening with young audiences, um, and yet there is this vacuum of meaning and there's this desire to truly connect. Mm. So for us, it's not about, it's not an either or, it's about recognizing both and finding ways to integrate those two facts, finding ways to build meaning into digital experiences and create physical experiences that fuel that also fuel the digital. So mm-hmm. it's really, yeah, it's not a black or white world, and so it's always kind of in that balance and finding the gray area. And you do that on the site, because you're not just a, an events company. Let's yeah. talk about the, the, the site itself. What's the sort of driving content play at at this moment in 2018? I mean, I think it's, first of all, it's the mix. It's speaking to the multifaceted interests of women. I think for a long time, you know, women were, women's media was sort of seen as this less than thing. And even when we started getting into harder news and politics, people said, oh, well, how can you how can you cover those things? How can you cover style and politics? And I think that that's um, a really binary way of looking at the world. I think, you know, it's like when I go to the airport, sometimes I buy Us Weekly and I also buy The New Yorker. And that's, you know, that's... My mind is blown. You know, your mind is blown. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? Um, but, but it, I mean... It seems ridiculous to say it out loud, but that's sort of how people treat these things of, you know, I think it's also sometimes that way when people are looking at an experience that has editorial and brands. And I think that that also is very reductive. You know, people interact with editorial content. 
they have a relationship with brands. And I think as long as those things are clearly delineated, you can serve people both. And they, they're in control of what they want to look at and what they want to click into. Um, but for us, the content you know, is really about catering to 360 degrees of a woman's life, her interests, um, continuing to help women to tap into their own agency and power. And um, you know, an interesting thing that we're seeing on site is that our audience is, is just very active. Um, so we have this action button on the site that is uh, something that many sites are using right now to kind of help the audience to take action on certain stories. Uh, and we've learned that of all the sites that it's on, our audience is the most active in, in taking action. Action like what? Like, like signing action? a petition, mm -hmm. um, donating, writing a you know writing a note to a congressperson um, all of those types of actions are part of this action button how um, how large a component is is the branded content side of, of things for you guys it's a large component yeah, yeah. I mean uh, you know we got into we got into branded content um, you, in you did air quotes you can't see the air quotes well anymore. I did air quotes because it's such a uh, it's such a vague term of what it truly means you know well it's what we, we used to call ads <laughs> there you go it's been around for a long time yeah. I, I think it used to be called advertorial, advertorial. like it would be been around a page for, in a magazine yeah. that looked that was terribly designed and it said advertorial and skip yeah <laughs> Yeah, but it started for, for us, um, you know, in 2007, 2008, when, you know, um, it was still sort of the heyday of, you know, the print publishing world. Yep. And we were able to work with brands in um, sort of new and differentiated ways and give them something digitally that wasn't just running a banner ad. And I think what that's morphed into, you know, um, is a business that today on the advertising side really starts with us being a partner to help a brand figure out how to strike a better, deeper connection to women. And that can be in the, in the form of helping us, you know, sell a product all the way to helping a deeper strategic problem. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, you know, probably the most significant reason why brands come to us. That connectivity with the audience is the heart of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is the most powerful generation of women in history and yet brands are still very much underserving this audience there's still huge stereotypes the world is designed you know by men for men and there's I think so much upside in brands starting to recognize that and businesses starting well, it's to the recognize right, it's that. certainly the right moment for it I mean but it's not yeah. like Culturally. again uh, it's not like we've sort of engineered to be at this point mm -hmm. you know we've we've gotten here very naturally an interesting example of this by the way of something that we've been working on over the last couple of years is this franchise called money Diaries mm -hmm. which is about you know women and finance and started again out of an experiment where we said hey we're sort of noticing that there isn't a conversation about it so we put a call to action out to the audience and said hey share with us. Uh, how much you're making anonymously and how you're spending your money during any given week in form of a diary. And it became this sort of really sensation. sensation. It's this, a book now, right? It's a book now. It yeah. launched a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's been an incredible ride to see how that's happened. And this is the second year in a row where we're working together with Intuit um, on a partnership that really plugs in better financial tools yeah. that sort of build upon the content. So it's those types of relationships that are really the the, the strongest manifestation yeah. of what happens in the on it's, the brand. It's side. interesting. Yeah, someone uh, into it was at Twenty Nine Rooms too. weren't there? Were they involved in that? I think someone. I was they, talking to someone before you guys came in, and they were like, "It's into it was a." It struck them as a weird partner for Refinery Twenty Nine. Oh, interesting. Which, which well, I, makes I think sense it's providing in, in this real. Context. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, I definitely don't think they're a weird partner no, for us. Of I think you don't. they provide a valuable financial <laughs> yeah. service that adds, you know, is additive to the content that we're creating. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it, and it's interesting that you said earlier in, when you were talking about uh, 2008 and you, you called it the heyday of print publishing. It's also <laughs> the year the entire economy sort of bottomed out and yeah. a lot of publishers didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, what was that time like for you? That time was interesting because uh, we. Uh, you know, we had we had a very organic path of building the business early on. We sort of, you know, we built the business before we raised any type of venture financing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 2008 was a moment in time where we were we were we were showing people how to be sort of an integrated partner on Refinery29 in these ways that felt very new. Um, we were also making money in other experimental ways. We mm-hmm. created an event doing the fall of 2008 where we brought together different designers and created basically an experiential retail pop-up. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, in those early days, we were really sort of forced to figure out what are all the various manifestations that we can do something with the Refinery29 brand and bring our audience and g- expose them to new things. So it was definitely... Um, it was definitely an interesting, an interesting moment, an interesting moment in time. Um, and formed our opinion of being able to have this, like, diversified model of monetization within the business. I think I think at that time we also just saw we went through that time with all these, you know, all these partners that we were working with and saw sort of what happened to a lot of these brands that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, the pop-up that Philip mentioned was called Save Fashion mm-hmm. um, because what we actually did is a lot of these partners that whose businesses were really struggling, you know, they didn't necessarily want to bring their stuff to a discount outlet because it would devalue their brand. So we created this place called Save Fashion that was very beautifully designed, um, but that was that was really a sample sale destination. So these brands whose inventory had been returned by the major retailers could sell their products and help to recoup their losses. Um, so I think, you know, even then it was kind of a lot of a lot of how we were operating were taking things that were happening in culture and in the macro environment and finding ways to turn it into a positive and turning it, turn it into something that um, could could help our partners and, our, and ourselves to continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've been able to then pivot, adapt, and move yeah. when when the economy yeah. pivoted and and. Well, we were so scrappy then. There was no fat to cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, so since you brought it up, I mean, you, the, the end of last year, even now, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough moment for digital media. It's a tough, tough moment for publishing across the board. You guys had a round of layoffs in December, but you know, so did businesses like, so did Buzzfeed, so did Mashable, a few others. Um, how are things now? Ten years later, you know, it was, a, was a seven, ten years, ten months. Um, <laughs> How are things now? Almost a year later, it's a was what like a seven and a half percent staffing cut. Uh, never a pleasant thing to do, no. but how has that played out? Yeah, well, it's a um, you know this is I think it's in, in many ways sort of a, a pivotal moment in, in in not just digital media, right? It's media at large. I mean, you see it uh, on, on the on the ad agency side. You see yep. it on the traditional. Um, broadcast side, you see it in digital media. I think for us, what's interesting is, you know, the, the longer we've been at this, it's, we realized that, you know, the, the business really is at, at its heart 
not just a digital media company. There's really other prongs of the business that are showing incredible traction and refinery is really sort of an identity brand that people choose to spend time with. Mm -hmm. um, all of that um, uh, aside, this is obviously a moment where I think anyone who is operating a business and has raised a lot of money is being forced to really look at this moment and say, how do you build and take this moment in time to build the next generation of what media and entertainment is really all about. Can, right? you, can you answer that for me? Because I'd, lo I'd I mean, love I to think, know. I think for us what it, what it means at the end of the day is being able to really make sure that what is, I can only speak for a refinery, I can't speak for the whole industry, right? For us, it's about making sure that basically the, the connectivity and the community that we've built is the strongest magnet to everything mm -hmm. and really building a world around that. Even sometimes on the content side, we talk about this concept of it's a world, not a show, right? How do you build a monetization model around that? Money Diaries is an interesting example where you have, you know, a partnership with a really incredible brand that elevates the sponsorship. At the same time, you're selling merchandise, you're selling books. That's the that's the that's mm -hmm. the world that we're required as people who have come out of this space to really flesh out and get to. Now the thing is that you can't really execute on that unless your your brand and your community really there's a magnetism there and it really works. You know, again, this notion of being engineered. If you engineer that, that's a very hard thing to do. So I think in this moment in time where you know the advertising world is uncertain. On the network side, you know, decades of 50% of your revenue stream being guaranteed to land in your pocket is being challenged. Mm -hmm. It means that now is the moment to say, okay, how do you nurture a community? How do you grow that community? And how do you really monetize around that? Right. Um, I want to clarify when I said <laughs> earlier about there was no fat to cut when we were <laughs> small. There was just the four of us yeah. that... I don't see people as being fat. No, I don't think anyone. <laughs> you know, I, th I think that. yeah, layoffs <laughs> are incredibly painful, and yeah. you know, we really value the people that work for us. And I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> um, and speaking of community, you're growing your own community. You guys yeah. are expecting a, a child. Yes, we are. Uh, nine weeks out. We're nine so, weeks out yeah. from baby coming, baby girl. How are you bracing for that, especially in terms of running a business? You know, it's 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 definitely an interesting moment because our co-founder Christine is also expecting okay. um, about two weeks after us. So, so the next generation is, yeah. is coming. Yeah, Justin Justin already has a kid, so we're we're catching up to him. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're we're thinking about it. You know, I think it's interesting because we are a company that is focused on women that celebrates women yep. and. Um, so you, you, have know, to, you have to lead by example? We have to lead by example, but I think that's an interesting, you know, with, with three of the four co-founders going on, on parental leave, mm -hmm. you know, we've been talking a lot about what that looks like. What, it, what does it look like to model that um, in a way that is gender balanced, that, but that also kind of takes into account the best, um, the best that we can provide for our new family members. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's, it's something we're thinking a lot about. By the way, Brian, you have two daughters, so That's correct. I really, what advice do you have for us? <laughs> yeah, what advice do you have for us? Put them first. Yeah. Put them first. I took, uh, uh, I took about a year off uh, when the first one was born, and it was the, easily the best experience of my life. Oh, man. Wow. My career hasn't suffered greatly for it, so I don't know if you can 
afford the same. Take but, a year but, off, both yeah. of us. <laughs> I take turns. One year. I wish there was a pause button. <laughs> you know, we could just pause. We'll yeah. come back to it. Or like, um, what was that show where she went like this? What was that show? Oh, Small Wonder. Small Wonder. Oh my God, what yeah. a terrible, wonderful show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it was a small wonder speaking with you. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Any any news? Any anything you're excited about? We have a uh, movie in theaters today you're called kidding. Assassination Nation. We're an executive producer on the show. You're making movies now too. Where we uh, we uh, announced a deal a few weeks ago together with Neon, um, mm-hmm. and this is the first movie um, that we're partners on, mm-hmm. and it's in theaters today. Yeah, really. Uh, but it's not our we, first movie, because we also have been doing the Shatterbox anthology, which is funding women's films. So we've right. done yeah. a lot of short films. But this is our first film that's in a box office. Wow. But you do you you do, do a lot of video. You have a lot of experience with video. Yeah. Um, you were not part of this big publisher pivot to video. You sort of organically grew that out. No, I mean, it's the publisher pivot to video. It's like the pivot to events. It's like, yeah. you know, or the pivot to shopping. It's a pivot um, to I have no plan B. It's, it's, uh, we, we started building out, I mean, we created our first video content in, I believe, 2008. Um, yeah. But we Directed really invested, law. really invested <laughs> on the video side um, about five, five, six years ago. Yeah. And we're fortunate to have somebody on the team who's working with us today um, who really espoused the vision of being able to create long-form content that has, you know, um, evergreen value versus the sort of race that we've seen over the last two years to follow, you know, billions of views mm-hmm. on with short-form content that, you know, likely no one will watch 12 months from now. Right. So being able to invest in long-form content, in scripted content, mm-hmm. um, and build for to its a, vi- a, a business model and video where it's really about the long tail mm-hmm. is how we've viewed the world of video. Right. Now, do you two, you guys seem pretty in alignment here talking today, and, and you are two of four founders, but uh, to what extent does this spill over into your relationship? Where do you have, do you disagree on strategy ever, and how does that, how do you navigate that? I, I don't think we, we, we have, We've learned a lot over 13 years of working, not just Pierre and I together, but the four of us. We've mm-hmm. learned a lot about how we operate and what you need to do to have a successful partnership. It's mm-hmm. not easy to, to work together with two people, two people, much less four. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we've developed enormous respect for what we all bring to the table and see the sort of like unique threats that, that people are, bring to that relationship. So if you were to boil it down to the stereotypes, like what are the <sighs> each, each of the four of you represent? <laughs> It's, that's a great question. I think, you know, Christine is our editor-in-chief. She's an incredible visionary who has a historic legacy yeah, of, a great of the world of media great Instagram and a great Instagram. <laughs> Piera is the creative force, has always been a, 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 a visual leader, which has set the brand aside as apart in a way that we could, couldn't have even dreamed of. Um, Justin has been a force on the commercial side of the business. And, you know, maybe it's my German nature, but I think it's, I, I bring structure and sort of forward momentum to Keep the business. Keep the trains running on time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Well, uh, this train has come to its station, I guess. Nice. <laughs> I like I'm these try- transitions. You're so I'm good. Trying. I'm trying. I'm done trying. done this trying. before. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining me. It was a lot of fun, and we'll have to check back in maybe in a year, see how uh, baby... 
29 is doing. Does she have a name yet? Are you allowed to say it? No. 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 We call it, well, right now she's called Cabby because she's the size of a cabbage. There you go. <laughs> Mine was Guppy because she was the size Aww. of a cabbage. She is no longer. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, that'd be weird. Uh, well, thanks for joining me. This was fun. Thanks, thanks for fun. having us. I want to thank Pierre Gillardi and Philip Von Boris, two of the four co-founders of Refinery29, for joining me today. I am Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, and you are listening to AdLib. I want to thank Alfred Mascheroni for producing this episode, as he does so well. I would also like to thank you, our listener, for tuning in. And speaking of listeners, did you know listeners find brand messaging on NPR 23% more memorable than brand messaging on other radio environments? To learn more about sponsorship opportunities across NPR platforms and why they're so effective, visit npr.org slash four brands. Then you can visit adage.com every single day. Check us out at iTunes, subscribe to us, hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever there are good podcasts. Come back next week and tell a friend. <laughs>